This morning we began on two fronts, really the beginning of our Advent celebration and also the beginning of the whole book of Luke, which we're going to continue after Advent uh, in January. So you can see there in the bulletin the overall uh, umbrella title of Luke will be the gift of all gifts, speaking of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, the title this morning, we interrupt this program, right? And we're reading from Luke chapter 1. You'll find this on page 855 in the blue book, the Bible that you'll find in the pew or chair. We'll begin reading with verse 5. There is a dedication to Theophilus, to whom Luke is writing, in verses 1 through 4. We will touch on that more in January and give some time and some handouts to the whole structure of Luke and Acts, uh, what, how these two books hang together, this, uh, these two books that make Luke the one who wrote more the New Testament than anyone else in writing these two books, uh, really two volumes of one story that he is giving us. But for this morning, we'll dive right into the narrative in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years." Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, 
because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That's the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that all that we do will be pleasing to you, that you will open up our hearts to receive your precious word, to believe it, to believe all the more, to put ourselves in the hands of the mighty and glorious and good Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. The Christian life is hard. Uh, Anyone who's serious about their Christian life knows this and knows how difficult it is. Paul talks about it as an agonizing race or like a bloody boxing match. But at the heart of our struggle, in every case, is a struggle to believe. It's a struggle of faith. So Paul is able to say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of faith or of the faith. So every part of our obedience turns upon our believing in his goodness and his power, his promises. It turns on our putting ourselves constantly in his care and believing in that care. We call ourselves believers, and we are, but believing is the root and matrix of our whole Christian life. And if we're going to be growing in Christ till the day we die, we're going to be growing in our faith. We're going to be struggling till we die. We're going to be struggling to believe and to grow in that belief. Well, I think this passage can greatly encourage us in believing in the goodness and greatness of God, even as we see the struggle that Zechariah himself has. So first we see the people in place. Uh, We'll start with the place. Uh, This is in the land of Israel during the reign of King Herod. Sometimes we'll talk about something being during the Reagan years, you know, like 1980 to 1988. Well, this is during the Herod years, 37 BC to 4 AD. And this takes place toward the end of that reign. His reign was a terrible reign in many ways. He polluted the land with pagan temples and pagan games. Uh, He was cruel and bloody. Even his own family suffered Uh, And many died within his family because of his fear and suspicion. This is the Herod the wise men appeared before. This is the Herod that killed the baby boys in Bethlehem trying to snuff out the life of Jesus Christ. 
And when he died in 4 BC, he was unmourned by his family and hated by the Jewish nation. It was in this dark, ominous time that the dawn of a new day broke out for all humanity. Even as the ladies just sang, it came a flower bright amid the cold of winter when half gone or half spent was the night. And then we're introduced to these two characters, Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, their character, he points out that not only is Zechariah a priest, but she's a descendant of a priest, none other than Aaron himself. Sterling heritage. But not only that, they were righteous and blameless before God, exhibiting a faithful life before the the God of Israel. And this is interesting because in addition to their character was their condition of barrenness. There's this dissonance here because as you're obedient to God in the Old Testament, you'll be fruitful. And one of the judgments upon those who turn their backs upon God is barrenness. So a barren woman would be shunned and despised. She speaks here in verse 25 of the reproach that she bore from others. People assumed God was against her. They assume there has to be something wrong, like Job's helpers. Thinking that she was ungodly. So she was utterly misunderstood. She was judged harshly and fairly for her whole adult life. And now it was over. There's no chance. She's too old to have a child. That was her life. Okay. That was her life. Now like Abraham and Sarah, they can't have children. But it's obvious they had not become embittered by this condition, but they served faithfully in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering. They persevered in this faithful service. And as we're seeing, God chose this suffering, faithful couple to break out his salvation. So the people and place. Then we come to the priestly task in verses 8 through 10. There were 24 divisions of the priests, okay? And every six months, each division served for a week in the temple. So it would be two times a year. This was Abijah's division. He belonged to the Abijah division. This was their week. Now, each week, there were more priests than there were jobs, and so you had to get your job by lot. And the prime job to get was the burning of the incense. It fell upon Zechariah. Of course, not by accident, because God had a plan to have him be the one to present it. Now, there were uh, two assistants. Uh, one would come in and take away the ashes from the altar of incense, the altar of incense right before the Holy of Holies. It represented the prayers of God's people being offered up into the presence of God. So one assistant takes away the ashes. Another assistant comes in and puts fresh coals from the altar of sacrifice onto the altar of incense. And then 
The most important role was the one who brings in the censer containing the incense to spread the incense over the coals, which would create a a billowing smoke and a fragrance that would spread out. And as the people outside would see the smoke, they realized this is the time of prayer and they would fall on their faces. And so their prayers, you see, being caught up and offered up through the priest to God. This was the event that's being described here. This was the most important moment of his whole life. You would only get to do this once. It was really the apex of his personal history, as people would say. But it was much more than that, as it turns out. So he comes in and offers this and... At that time, right at the time of prayer, right as the people are praying, this angel appears. I I would have had a heart attack. I would have at least fainted. I would have been like, don't do this, you know, just, but, and and we see his fear. And, And so as he is in fear, the proclamation comes forward. And here, uh, particularly is we interrupt this program. We interrupt this program of incense. This time, right at the time of prayer, is when God then reveals his salvation. He says, right as every angel does when they're appearing to pronounce grace, do not be afraid, assuring him of God's gracious care. And he says, he has heard your prayers, probably talking about the many past prayers for a child. But it's likely that these prayers were not offered anymore by Zechariah. Most likely at this point, he's praying for the nation of Israel, for its redemption. The time of prayer for a child was uh, way gone. It's not as though he saw the angel and said, well, it's about time, you know. He was shocked as he prayed for the redemption of Israel. How much more did he receive? Yes, I answer your prayer about the redemption of Israel. And your wife is going to bear the child to announce this redemption. Just think as he hears that they'll have a child and then he hears that he will be great. And then he hears that he will be the forerunner of the appearance of God proclaimed in the Old Testament. His very name, John, means God is merciful. His very name is a promise. But then he goes on, of course. It's not just that you're going to have a baby. Anytime an angel makes an announcement, you can be sure something big is coming down. And so this angel is just getting started as he talks about that Elizabeth will uh, give birth to a child. Joy will break out. And the the way he describes this in uh, verse, uh, the way he describes this in verse 13 and 14 is uh, that it will be the redemptive joy, a joy of being rescued. Many will be caught up in this salvation joy. Because he will be great in the sight of God. This means he will be great in the purpose of God. Great as God assesses greatness. 
So this is a joy not just for his birth, but a joy for his whole ministry. He will be an instrument of great blessing and happiness and salvation. His birth is the result of God's kindness to sinners. And as he says in verse 15, this abstinence from wine and strong drink means that he'll be separated out from a normal life but so that he is entirely dedicated to carry out this particular special mission that God has for him. And the mission is so important and it will start so early that your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in his mother's womb. He'll be under the governing power of God's Spirit from the very beginning. And by the way, in a couple of weeks, we'll actually see where John began his work as a prophet, even as an unborn child. (laughs) Stay tuned. In verses 16 and 17, we see that the Lord God Himself is coming. As the angel refers to Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, where the coming of God is announced. And it's preceded by one who will come in the power of Elijah. So verses 16 and 17 are are borrowed from the book of Malachi. Interesting, the angel quoting the Old Testament, right? And so Zechariah's own son, John, will have this central prophetic role in proclaiming this history-changing event. Final preparations are necessary, and John is the instrument God will use to prepare the way as the Lord comes on the scene. Riveting news. And he prepares the way... By affecting repentance among God's people. That's the meaning of he will turn many to the Lord their God. He will turn the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the way of the righteous. Repentance means an inside out across the board change in the way people think and feel and live. Repentance is helpless dependence upon God for a whole new way of living. And as he indicates, it will affect all relationships, relationships with God, relationships within the family, relationships among neighbors. This is God's story. He is going to come onto the scene. Get ready. Prepare the people for the reign of God that is coming. It is coming and this son to be born to you will announce this coming reign of God. He will prepare Israel for it. He will actually come in the power and spirit of Elijah. Who turned many in Israel back to Yahweh at a critical point in Israel's history. Your son will do a similar work as Elijah did. It will be like having Elijah all over again. Can you imagine hearing this? 
my son, we didn't think we could ever have a son, and we're going to have a son, and he's going to play the role of the new Elijah announced in Malachi. And of course, in Luke's overall arrangement, this story of John is just here to throw that much more light on who Christ is. And this takes place in the temple itself. This central role of the old covenant now becomes the cradle of the new covenant. This son of the priesthood, John, will announce the coming of the true and only high priest, Jesus Christ, the only one who can truly make a sacrifice for sin. How gorgeous this is. How the Old Testament is giving birth right here to the New Testament. And so the people in place, this priestly task that we see, this proclamation, this interruption, and now Zechariah's response, I'm calling the proof demanding unbelief. It's interesting, this word, I am, when he says, I am an old man. The Greek is ego, I, me. It's the word that Jesus uses again and again. I am the door. I am of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Well, here he says... I am a Presbyterian. Well, not quite, but um, you see, the Greek word for elder is presbyteros. That's where we get our word for Presbyterian. And the word he uses is closely related, but it doesn't mean Presbyterian. You can't quote that. It means I'm an old man. I'm a Presbyterian, that's for sure. I know. You're thinking Darwin's a Presbyterian. Yeah, the senior pastor, right. But it is interesting how Gabriel uses ego I me too. So you can almost read it like this. But I'm an old man. Yeah, well, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. My I am trumps your I am. You see, Zechariah's request is a sign that he doesn't believe in this power and goodness of God. Even though he had prayed often for a child, now that they're old and past the time, they can't even have a child, he's thinking, you've got to be kidding me. There's no way. There's just no way this could be happening. It's too late, Mr. Angel. It's kind of like Martha and Mary when Jesus showed up, and each of them said to him, if you had been here when my brother died, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And, of course, Jesus said to Martha, Basically, what are you talking about? I am the resurrection and the life. Or the people even said, if he healed the blind man, couldn't he have stopped this as well? And even when Jesus said, roll back the stone, you remember what Martha said. But Jesus, he's been dead four days. He will stink. There will be an odor. 
I've referred to this before, but there's a painting by Duccio in the Kimball, and it shows them opening the tomb, and there's a guy right in front with his yellow robe, and he's got the robe over his nose, you know. He's just sitting there thinking, oh, no, right? I think it's one of the really comical sections of uh, the paintings there. And, of course, he's surprised, as they all are, that, yes, he can raise the dead. And it's that feeling here. It's, it's beyond. It's beyond comprehension that God could do this. And it's certainly a picture of us and our belief, right? Our belief, our unbelief, thinking this is not going to go well. My life is ruined. My life is over. There is no way out of this. There is no future, no hope for me. Well, Zechariah demanded a sign. He got it, right? He got it. Not what he wanted, but that was the guarantee. You want a guarantee? Here's the guarantee. I will say that you will not speak until he comes. And when he walks out, we see that it happened. You see, that for us really, and for him at that point, is a guarantee. If he pronounced that I would be dumb and not be able to speak, maybe what he said is true, right? Maybe what he said is true. Maybe a child will be born, which uh, uh, be conceived, which he was. And then the people, of course, they're outside waiting and waiting. It's kind of like you're at a wedding and here comes the bride is played and the normal and everybody's standing, but the doors still aren't opening and they play it again. And it's still, you know, that's the feeling here. It's like something's wrong. And then when he comes out... Uh, they they can't understand what he's doing, and he starts playing charades. Basically, you know, I, I imagine him uh, starting with uh, you know two syllables, yeah, uh, second syllable, uh, uh, gel, gel, yeah, and and and, uh, and and angel, angel, yeah, okay, we got it, you know. But he, it's it's a comical scene. He's he's trying he's trying to proclaim what happened with with signs. It's been removed from him, taken away. But that is the sign of God's promise to him and to us by His grace. You see. Encountering this event and seeing his unbelief, we're encouraged to believe. And the promise is that God will enable us to believe in this all-powerful God. It encourages us that even good people fail to believe at times. Because this was a righteous man and blameless. Faith is hard. Believing in the goodness of God is difficult. Believing in the expansive power of God that really will work in my life personally is difficult. And we will struggle with that till the day we die. But the Holy Spirit is given in the person of Christ. And He not only enables us to pray, but we learn in Romans, He actually prays for us. Offering up prayers that are beyond us because of our weakness. We don't even know what to pray for at times. 
So the proof demanding unbelief of Zechariah, but then finally the praise. That is, the praise that Elizabeth is able to offer. Her faith is contrasted with his unbelief. It's interesting that the Jewish rabbis would make the point that whenever Scripture says she had not, God would give her a child. And so really, if we'd been reading our Old Testament, the story of barrenness, just hearing it, is the very grounds for anticipating the gift of a child. So Elizabeth's situation was hopeless apart from God's intervention. And and how do you show that John is special? Bring him forth from a barren womb. That's how you do it. Bring him forth from a place where he couldn't have come to show this is God's man brought in a unique way by God's miracle. Here God is fulfilling his purposes in the face of a seemingly impossible situation, overturning the impossible, accomplishing his will. Elizabeth can't have a child, but she did. And then it happens with Mary. She really can't have a child, but she does because God is going to accomplish his will. He is going to bring about his salvation. Let's learn that our stories of loss and pain and mistreatment and abandonment, our story of barrenness, we can say, must become the anticipation of God's work in our lives. Notice that Elizabeth was suffering because of the way that God wanted to be glorified in her life. That's why she was suffering. And dear child of God, it's the only reason God would ever bring suffering into your life. It's the unique, beautiful way that he wants to manifest his glory in your life. Even the suffering of ridicule and contempt and disdain from those who supposedly belong to God. What people may consider a tragedy is from God's standpoint the opportunity for his grace. Luke is careful to show what the gospel meant for a hurting person like Elizabeth. Five months she went into seclusion. And there's some discussion as to why this, why the five months of seclusion. And a pretty strong consensus that I agree with is she was not going to continue to suffer public disgrace. Her contempt, her reproach had been removed. And she was not going to allow it anymore. Until five months in when she could come out and everybody could see your reproach is taken away. Interesting, isn't it? There's a time to remove yourself from the abuse of others and live in God's peace and protection. Whether from a spouse or as an adult, from a parent or relative, many of you have spoken to me about these issues. And there's a time where she has removed herself as well. But you see, Elizabeth's response side by side with Zechariah's 
challenges us, how will we respond to this initiative for God to redeem and remove shame? Israel's shame before the nations. And then how will you respond to his initiative to redeem you and remove your shame? How will you respond? How will I respond? That's the question of this passage. Because you see, John uh, John is only to be the one who prepares for the one to come. Luke is unraveling that story. And the one to come is Jesus Christ himself. The appearing of God that Gabriel declares takes place in the appearing of Jesus. The Bible teaches us that the eternal Son of God took upon Himself flesh and through the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the the Virgin Mary. Next week we'll see Gabriel's announcement to Mary herself as he's announced this to Zechariah and the Son of the Most High that she will bear God in the flesh. And he comes, this Jesus, to announce the kingdom of God. Better to say, his coming is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The beginning of God's special reign in the lives of his people. And what does that reign look like? It's a people reshaped by the transforming goodness of God. That's who they are. Reshaped by the transforming goodness of God. Their lives are reflecting their all-out embrace of this gracious God. As they have received that grace and forgiveness, they rest in Him and rejoice in Him. And therefore, their lives begin to embody His own kindness. That's the reign of God that is breaking out in Jesus Christ. And it is seen in Him particularly. Not only His care of the lowliest of society... Not only the healing of people broken by disease and demons, his welcoming of all people to the table of his fellowship, his reaching out even to a thief dying next to him on the cross. But they will see even more deeply what he said, that I come not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. They will see the staggering reality that God has come to rescue his people by dying in their place, dying to bear their sin and punishment. They see him resurrected from the dead, showing God's approval of his sacrifice for sin. This is where they're absolutely changed by this encounter with the goodness of God. It's the encounter with Jesus Christ himself. And you see, here, God is initiating this salvation. Everybody's going about their business. But he interrupts with this critical, history-altering message. And as he intervened to cause the birth of John and the birth of Jesus, he did so so that you, you ultimately could hear this good news. This breakout is for you. 
Because as this unravels, it sh- he will show Luke that this is so that all the Gentiles could hear this good news. How will you respond to his coming to you to redeem you and remove your shame? All your guilt and your failures, your pain and loss. He comes in goodness and grace to take you in, to make you his child, to comfort you and heal you. Or maybe it's more your pride and your success that you think is all because of how great you are. Your contempt for others, even those closest to you. Your dependence on money and power. He comes to heal you of that as well. For those things are shameful as well. He comes to reveal you to you this God of unlimited power, but a God of unlimited kindness. How will you respond to his removing your shame? If you're presently one who's not believed in Christ, we urge you. To believe in this Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be announced by John. We urge you to enter into his care now and forever. But for those who do believe, and this brings us back to our opening, this passage shows that good people struggle, right? God promises to be with you and bless you with his presence as you reach out to neighbors, as you even walk over to introduce yourself to a visitor, which is hard for some of us, or as you give yourself to meditation on his word, or as you turn away from various idols of your life, as you respond to suffering and loss by seeking still to give yourself away. All of these and so many others, do we believe in his promise to be with us? to strengthen us and to bless us as we sacrifice ourselves and give ourselves away. We can be just like Zechariah, not believing, not imagining that God could really, really come to us and change us and really, really be with us in this fearful event. I close with this passage from Ephesians 3.20 that speaks of God in this way. He's able to do exceedingly beyond all we ask or think. And kids, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation, maybe you're at a, a creek somewhere or a lakeside, and you and your dad, maybe your brother and sister are throwing rocks, and your dad's throwing rocks, and then suddenly you say, Dad, let's see how far we can throw it. And you rear back, and you throw it as far as you can, and it goes out there, you know, pretty good ways. And then you say, see how far you can throw it, Daddy. And, of course, your daddy was played center field in college, and he rears back, and he throws the rock. And your little eyes are looking and you don't even see where it landed. You know, it just goes out beyond your sight. And that's the picture of Ephesians 3.20. All you can imagine or think, take it way beyond that. Take it further than you can even think. That's what God will do for you. He's able to do it. He's willing to do it. Are we going to believe him? Let's pray. Oh, Father, thank you that you love to do great things for your people who trust you. Thank you, Lord, that 
you are absolutely committed to the good of your people. You withhold nothing from your people. Enable us to rest in you, to hear your promises, and to embrace them from a good and gracious and all-powerful God. Amen.